welcome to the Real Weird Podcast. October 28th, End of the Dark series. Alright, so this is basically going to be another little uh, speedrun episode similar to the one that we did for the Masters of Horror series. Uh, as the title suggested, we're talking about the End of the Dark series. Now, what is that? Well, Hulu had a idea at some point where they basically decided that they were going to, well, they were going to have a run of uh, 12 holiday-themed horror movies, each one framed around a specific holiday. Um, and they would be released weekly on Hulu streaming service when they got finished. Um, it's sort of a similar premise to the Masters of Horror, only it's more... The concept of each one theming it around a holiday and not the idea of, hey, we have these directors who are known primarily for their horror films and we're going to have them each do a short film. Uh, These are all feature-length. They're all available on Hulu. Unfortunately, I don't think any of them have physical release. But I'm just going to go through each one, um, say what holiday it's for, to give a basic idea of it. Um, at the end, as I did with Masters of Horror, I'll just give my thoughts on which ones really stuck out to me. Because um, the nice thing is, it's not like... They're listed separately. So it's not like you have to dig through an episode list to get to each one of them. You can just search them by name. So, first up, for a Halloween-themed movie, is The Body. Um, a hitman finds his work complicated by the fact that in addition to his car being vandalized, um, he has to transport the body of his latest hit for disposal. But the Halloween crowd simply assumes that this is part of his costume and he's trying to navigate around that. Uh, it gets complicated, even more complicated when it, when it goes to a Halloween party, and some of the guests realizes that the body is not, in fact, a prop, and, well, try to avoid pissing him off at this... Well, okay, they've avoided... They weren't able to avoid pissing him off. They're trying to avoid getting killed by him as well. They're, overall, it's in, in definitely an interesting one. It's got a great twist ending. Um, it's kind of this, like really sort of artsy opening where you just get stills of this really nice, like, penthouse apartment uh, and just, like, you know, signs of violence show up and the whole time is just Tchaikovsky's Swan Lake playing in the background. It's one of my favorite, like, classical pieces, honestly. But the other favorite standout to me was the Hitman has this great little tirade where he just gives this wonderfully nihilistic outlook of the world. And he says, and he basically says that sentience is a mental illness. He says that anything with humans that isn't eating, I think he says something like anything that isn't eating, sleeping, killing, or fucking is the sign of a mental disorder. It's like his little, he goes on this little like tirade where he just gives his nihilistic outlook of the world. And it's, it just makes for, like, one of the best character moments in the whole movie. So, moving on, we have 
flesh and blood. Uh, Thanksgiving. A teenage girl named Kimberly is crippled with some horrible agoraphobia after the unsolved murder of her mother. Uh, Her father spends much of his free time at the house renovating it, and Kimberly begins to suspect that her father is, in fact, a serial killer, that he is the one responsible for both her mother's murder and for the murder of several missing girls in the area. But, you know, obviously it's left uh, rather vague until the conclusion of the movie, and part of it's also just the fact that it's a question of how much is just her imagination and or the medication she's taking from being cooped up so long because of her own anxieties. Uh, yeah, definitely a very interesting one, especially given the whole theme of, like, you know, just the concept of someone that close to you doing something that horrible and whether or not you want, whether or not you can really come to terms with that. I think I said it in like the cosmic horror episode. It, it's one of those cases where it's like, am, am I imagining this or is it happening? Or am I just thinking, just, am I just hoping that I'm going crazy? Cause the alternative is worse, you know? It's a very uh, it's got like a very uneven pace, but it's worth a watch as much very well. Next up is Puka. This is Christmas. And there's this struggling actor who takes a job at a mall acting as a mascot for a new sort of like fad toy called Puka. Uh basically it's basically Puka is like this little stuffed animal with this voice mimicry gimmick but it's a completely like randomized one puka will just randomly repeat the last thing you said with either a nice voice or a naughty voice which was where the eyes light up red and it has this sort of like deep distortion effect but as he gets more and more into the role he gradually begins to lose his grip on reality begins to hallucinate he um and after uh, Puka ends up getting recalled at one point and he loses the job, it begins to complicate his relationship with his new girlfriend and her son from a previous marriage. Uh, the only real issue I would say with Puka is that I think on the first time watching, the ending really confused me. I'm, I'll probably warm up to it a little bit more when I do a second watch at some point. But for now, it's kind of like, now it's kind of like middling as far as the Into the Dark goes for me. All right, next up is New Year, New You. So New Year's, obviously. There's a group of friends reuniting for a little night of fun on New Year's. Tensions within the group begin to escalate after one of their old friends. Now this, like you know, social media influencer who's getting, like, her own streaming show arrives. And part of this is just the fact that they're kind of, like, jealous over her success, but there's also kind of, like, deeper, more severe cause for it that has to do with a past slight. And it's not, like, a... It's not, like, a little thing. It's a big thing. I won't say what it is, but... I honestly really like this one. I mean, the characters were a little annoying, but... 
the whole like snarky subtext of like social media and like influencer culture it honestly kind of reminded it's funny that it reminded me of it because this came out before it but it kind of reminds me of like bodies 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 that came out this year just the whole general like semi-comedic tone how much it's like making fun of you know the culture around social media and like you know the influencer crowd uh yeah, like, okay, most of the End of the Dark movies are, like, none of them are over an hour and a half, so I would in I would recommend all, but one of them, uh, we'll get to that, but well, all but two, I'll say, but we'll get to those when we get to it. Uh, next up is Down, which is Valentine's Day. Um, after a malfunction, a pair of office workers get trapped in an elevator together. What seems to begin as a budding romance turns into a horrifically tense little mind game after the man involved in this makes a rather startling confession that he caused this. Um, it's, it's definitely a case of a movie that could have been boring considering that most of it's like in one very cramped location but I think the claustrophobia involved with this setting really helps it it helps to make the story a little more tense and engaging than it would normally be otherwise which is kind of impressive like you know plenty of movies have been shot all in like one house for the most part but this is like one elevator although there are scenes outside of it uh yeah, this one's really really creepy. It does what it it does what it intends to do and it does it very well. All right, next up we have Treehouse. Interesting one. Uh it's kind of pulling double duty for both the Ides of March and International Women's Day even though those are both like those are both two separate dates, although it's only like a week apart, so I guess it could work. So there's this celebrity chef with a bully reputation has retreated to his family's old vacation house to get away from some bad press and some legal troubles. But after a dinner, he finds himself besieged by a group of, like, witches, basically. And they're trying to get him back for the, like, transgressions against women he's committed um, in his life up to this point. Yeah, it's... It's really fucking freaky, and it's interesting that it manages to work, uh, that it has a kind of heartwarming ending when the... We find out both from a little snippet... Well, we get hints, and then, like, a big, like, reveal later about just how much of a scumbag the chef is. He just seems, at first, like a kind of temperamental, like, Gordon Ramsay type, but he's, like, way, 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 way much worse than that. Like, Gordon Ramsay's actually a pretty nice guy from what I've seen when the cameras aren't running. The whole, like, you know, the whole asshole chef is more just a persona for him, but this guy is, like, he's actually kind of a scum. He's actually a scumbag. But it's got a wonderful twist. It's got as heartwarming an ending can be when you have a character that's this unsympathetic. So, you know, this one's up there. Next up is one of my favorites on this list. Uh, is called I'm Just Fucking With You. 
There's this prolific internet troll played by Kira O'Donnell who I thought he looked familiar and apparently he was in Paul Blart Mall Cop of all movies. But, you know, he spends like his spare time just like trolling this uh, one of his exes with this alternate account basically just called Programming Flaw. And he stays the night at this seedy motel. He soon gets a taste of his own medicine because the night desk guy begins to subject him to a number of escalating pranks. And, you know, it's funny that I'm empathizing with, like, the guy running the motel because, you know, that's basically my job, or at least it was for most of this summer. That's why those episodes were late. Sorry about that again. But, you know, he begins to get bored and just subject this guy to a bunch of escalating pranks. And the dark humor throughout the whole runtime is hilarious. Um, again, it's wonderful that the character is so unsympathetic, but you still actually kind of end up liking him. And for something that was made pretty cheaply for a streaming service, like the last 20 minutes of this movie are like some of my favorite scenes ever in any movie. But yeah, I, I would definitely say give priority to this if you want to have one that's kind of funny. Um, some of the other ones are a little more better with a serious tone, but this one's still my favorite. All right, next up we have All That We Destroy. This one's for Mother's Day. So there's this geneticist who has this uh, nascent cloning technology. And she's been using it to um, just create these clones of this one woman because she's fearful of her son's psychopathic tendencies. She's worried that he's going to become like a serial killer if he's left unsupervised and untreated. So she like sequesters him in this in this house out in the desert. Uh, desert town, I think in California. And she's basically allowing him to sort of relive the same murder as a form of behavioral therapy. This becomes complicated, though, by the fact that one of the clones she makes apparently seems to retain the memories of her past. Now, I was definitely getting, getting like, we need to talk about Kevin vibes from this, and just like that, I'm going to give you a little warning for this one. Um, it does kind of a similar, like, non-chronological storytelling. Like, we cut back and forth between, like, a past time and the modern time in it. So it's more a case of, I'm just telling you this so you don't get quite as confused. Because um, I've, I've been meaning to go back and rewatch We Need to Talk About Kevin because... I wasn't aware that that's what that was doing. So this one does a very similar thing, so I just figured I'd let you know so you can follow along a little bit better. All right, next up, they come knocking, going from all going from Mother's Day to Father's Day. And this one's based off the urban legend of the black-eyed children. Uh, for those that don't know, it's a sort of urban legend about these beings that resemble human children from, like, ages... 6 to 16, basically, only they have, like, pitch black eyes. Like, no iris, no sclera, nothing like that. Uh, so after his wife passes away, 
a man named Nathan takes his two daughters out on a road trip to the spot where um, he proposed to her way back when. Um, but on the way, they begin to come. They begin to become harassed by, well, the black-eyed children. Just these sort of like vague, menacing voices coming from outside the camper that they're in, even though they just look like tiny children when observed. It's, well, it's nice that the, like, older sister in this one isn't just, like, stereotypical teen angst, but she was still kind of annoying. Uh, Other than that, the movie has, like, you know, a wonderful theme of, like, a family fighting amongst itself because of the grief of, like, the mother passing away. About, like, you know, not being able to let go and move on with the grieving process. You know, I I really hate the term elevated horror because I think it's kind of snobby, but this is definitely one of the ones I'd say kind of fits most people's definition of it. It's got that undercurrent of, like, grief and trauma as a main plot point that kind of, like, gives the, I guess you could say gives the main character a sort of um, anchor in this and more of a personal stake in other than just, you know, beat up the monster. All right, next up we have Culture Shock, which is another one of my favorites on it. This one is Independence Day, specifically U.S. Independence Day, July 4th. Um, It follows a group of Mexican migrants who are illegally crossing the border, hoping for a better life. But between, you know, the coyotes, which is just like a term for people smuggler, uh, the cartel that kind of harasses them at different points, and the town they end up arriving in. Which, by the way, uh, just got to give a shout-out, because we've got both Creed Bratton and Barbara Crampton in this one, which is wonderful. Uh, Creed Bratton, you might know from both his band and from his role in The Office. Barbara Crampton, Scream Queen legend from the 80s. But... The best way I can describe it is that it's sort of like a weird mix of, well, okay, I'm just going to say it's like Get Out, as the closest movie I can think of. But yeah, essentially they arrive in town and everything's kind of like idyllic and all that, but you know, I made the Get Out comparison. This is more just this weird nebulous conspiracy about like trying to punish them because they came here illegally. Um, yeah, I'm going to tell you, if you like Fox News, first off, fuck off. Second of all, don't watch this movie. But, because it's not subtle, but it's not unsubtle in a way where it's just hammy and annoying and preachy. Uh, moving on. Now, this one's a bit of a stretch when it comes to the holiday, but first day of school. Uh, we've got school spirit. It's basically like a element of supernatural slasher horror in a way. Uh, It's basically the Breakfast Club plus that. We've got our little group of misfits in weekend detention, and they inadvertently end up uncovering the truth about an urban legend linked to their school. has to do with a teacher who died, like, I believe 10 years prior. But, you know, you've got... You've got, like, one girl who's got, like, impulse control disorder, one who's just comes from an abusive household, so 
he just doesn't really give much of a shit anymore because he doesn't see himself as having much prospects. There's like this one high-strung kid who's kind of, um, he's like a stoner. There's one, there's a different one who's a stoner, I mean. And our main character uh, is basically like the class president. You know, she's like the picture-perfect student. But she ended up in detention because she got caught uh, cheating, basically, or trying to. And there's an urban legend about a teacher whose ghost is, like, haunting the school because a bunch of students, like, pranked her a while ago, and then in the process she accidentally died. So that's the that's the sort of urban legend aspect to it. It's definitely... The dialogue is a little stilted, honestly. Uh, there are points where it feels like, yeah, these are teenagers as written by, like, 50-year-olds. But other than that, it's it's really entertaining, and it's definitely fun. It's It does feel like a sort of love letter to the old whodunit slashers, especially those with, like, a some kind of a school setting from the 80s. Definitely going to give this one a... Definitely advise giving this one a watch. All right, last one for season one is Pure for Daughter's Day. There's a church running one of those weird little purity retreat bullshit events. And our main characters are Shay and her rebellious half-sister, Joe. They're at this whole thing where it's, you know, just all about, like, promoting abstinence and all that shit. Which is hilarious because, as I mentioned, they're half-sisters. Like, Shay didn't even know that she didn't even know her actual father until, like, a week before the events of this movie start. And Joe's obviously disillusioned because, you know, here they are preaching about the importance of, you know, no sex before marriage while her father just, like, cheated on her mom, basically. So it's a sort of, like, symbolic rebellion against authority. They go secretly perform this little ritual to... Lilith, who I'm not going to get into here, but she's, like, an important figure in, like, Judeo-Christian folklore, basically. Was the actual... uh, Was Adam's actual first wife before Eve showed up. But after they do this, um... One of them, Shay, she begins to see this sort of mysterious figure lurking about, and all these, you know, unsettling supernatural occurrences happen. Uh, yeah, this one, this is definitely one of those ones with a message, and I like it, because, you know, if you like Handmaid's Tale, you'll probably like this. Um, but, yeah, you just, you really kind of, like, feel the anxiety that's being put on them by trying to, like, conform to their family's expectations and all. Um, yeah, like, I I don't really have much more to say about Pure, but it's definitely one of the better ones here. So, this is on the ones of, I definitely advise seeing this one. Moving on to Season 2, for Halloween, we have Uncanny Annie. Kind of similar to this old movie I saw, older movie I saw from 2009 called Open Graves. There's a group of college students that play a board game and in doing so, end up being trapped in another dimension. 
Um, they must continue playing in order to escape. It's sort of like... It's sort of like they play the game, and it's kind of like Truth or Dare at some point, where they have to do something, and if they don't, they have to pull an emergency like challenge card, I think it's called, and do that. And if they fail these, they die and their soul is trapped, basically. So there are your stakes. Um, this one is kind of, I don't want to say it's bad, but this one didn't really stick out to me very much because exactly, because like the rules of this game are kind of up in the air and more for plot convenience than anything else. So it was at points hard to follow what the point plot or figure out what the point was supposed to be. But I wouldn't necessarily say skip it. So, you know, watch this one at your own discretion. Next up is Pilgrim for Thanksgiving. It's a group of historical reenactors invited to a Thanksgiving dinner. They begin to get a little too into their roles and trying to help the family appreciate each other a little bit more and try to make them actually grateful for the things that happen. Um, and it basically causes them to sort of like, They they become to they begin to become very hostile towards their hosting families, which is actually probably one of the more accurate portrayals of pilgrims, but you know. It it basically just turns into a slasher movie slash home invasion movie. There's no other real way to put it. <laughs> um yeah. Uh again, kind of middling, but definitely the better part of mid the better end of middling. Next up, we have a nasty piece of work for Christmas. Uh, there's this high-strung employee at a corporate office. He's denied a promotion and his Christmas bonus. But his boss invites him to a Christmas party at his place and gives him a chance to get that promotion and that bonus through a violent contest with a professional rival. His professional rival is kind of like this just douchebag, like, f stereotypical frat boy um, office worker, basically. I, I can't even really describe him. He you really have to just watch this movie because you need to, like, see this guy to believe him. But, you know, I, I really love this one, honestly. Satirical view of office life. It's got inner titles similar to, like, a workplace orientation reels. Um, I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's definitely... You know, it you can definitely tell where the humor in this movie is supposed to be, even when it's not like being acknowledged as funny. Uh so yeah, going from one of my favorites to one of the worst of these in my opinion. So Midnight Kiss. A group of friends reunites at a desert resort for a New Year's tradition of theirs. Uh they play a game called Midnight Kiss, which is essentially a contest to see who can get a New Year's kiss from a stranger first. Um, but there's a killer that begins to lurk around the party. The paranoia begins to strain against some relationships that are already pretty rocky. Uh, I mean, you know, I can commend Hulu for the fact that they had a predominantly, like, they had a predominantly gay cast of characters for this one, but it's 
really, really boring. I had difficulty kind of discerning characters from one another. And honestly, just nothing about this really, like, sold me. I mean, there's some funny scenes in it, especially when they're out at, like, the club dancing, but there's really nothing in this one to sort of, you know... There's not much I can really say about this one to either praise or condemn it. So it's kind of, in a funny way, that actually ends up making it worse than a lot of the others on this list, for me at least. But, you know, like I said like I said with anything I say on this channel, don't let what I say about a movie discourage you from watching it. Just say that if you're looking to me for recommendations, I'm not giving it to I'm into it. That's all I mean. All right, next up, we have My Valentine. Obviously, Valentine's Day again. A woman's music producer, ex-boyfriend, steals her stage persona and pastes it onto his new protege slash girlfriend. The three of them are locked in a concert venue together. Uh, what begins as somewhat conciliatory quickly turns violent. And it's definitely... It is definitely a good lens into the idea of like you know mixing personal and public um, definitely has to do with abusive relationships because like he's because the boyfriend is just like a scumbag and a manipulative bastard and he's like basically trying to like guilt trip his ex even though that she was the one being reasonable here and even though, like, he's the one that's basically, you know, stealing her ideas to give it to someone else and make money off of it. It's really tense. It's just that, you know, I, I've had members of my family have to deal with people like this before. I kind of just wanted to punch the screen anytime that boyfriend was on screen. But if you can avoid doing that, um, yeah, I could recommend this one. Crawlers! Now, this, this is one of the best ones for me. This is St. Patrick's Day. And there's a group of college kids battling a group of body snatcher aliens in their small town after a night of revelry. It's narrated by one of the characters who is a local town girl who sells drugs to the local students. I honestly was just cracking up through most of this movie because it's perfect. It's like perfect sci-fi comedy horror. You know, you've got... Uh, you've got the two main. You've got two of the main girls who are like friends that are kind of like distant at this point. You've got Eugen, who's like the friend to a new, the new friend of one of the girls, and you've got our main character, who's kind of laid back, very down to earth. Uh, you know, she kind of <laughs> she's a bit of a conspiracy theorist. It's just that in this case, she happens to be right about the aliens at least. And she kind of has this sort of like dismissive view of most of the other students just because it's a college town and she's not like, you know, one of the rich kids that can go to the college. But it's, I mean, it's got the creepy tone for the horror. It's got the humor. It's got the cool sci-fi elements with the body snatcher aliens. They've got great effects. And nothing about it is, nothing about it feels contrived really. I mean, granted, any 
I mean, granted, any scenario where humans actually successfully repel an alien alien invasion is going to need some contrivance, but you know, nothing nothing broke my immersion really. So yeah, crawlers is near the top of the list for me. All right, Puka lives. Yep, for Easter we have as a sort of semi sequel to Puka. We follow a group of friends who started this sort of internet meme called the Puka Challenge. And now we get sucked into the strange mystery involving an urban legend centered around the death of Puka's creator. And it's kind of interesting because there's this concept that they talk about called a tulpa, which is a sort of a cult concept where it's basically like a familiar, only it's completely independent of your will, essentially. But it's created through like sheer thoughts and belief. And basically, the more people do the so-called puka challenge, the, like, basically, it ends up with people dying, essentially, which just ends up, you know, fueling, it's almost like death by creepypasta, essentially. I mean, I mean, yeah, granted, it's a terrifying thought. Imagine something on the internet coming to life, but, you know, it it's like a fun little satire of, like, social media again. With the... Uh, with the added... With the added layer of that main character played by uh, Malcolm Barrett from The Boys... He's trying to, like, get his personal life back on track after he wrote this book that, like, pissed off this, like, really, you know, popular influencer. So now all of that guy's fans are just harassing him. So, yeah, it ends up creating this really high-stakes ticking clock situation, actually. So I'd actually recommend this over the original Puka. But, you know... You might you might need to watch the first one just for a little bit of background. All right, next up for another one for Mother's Day, we have Delivered. It's, uh, I'd like to say this is a sort of less extreme version of Inside, which is one of those like French new wave, extreme new wave horror movies. My advice is don't watch that one if you have a weak stomach. But there's this soon-to-be mother realizing that someone she knows is trying to trying to trying to steal her baby, essentially. So honestly, it's like a weird mix of like Rosemary's Baby and Misery, because she's just keeping her like, you know, locked up at this house, uh, just waiting for the baby to be delivered. Again, it's kind of odd pacing. And it does run the risk of becoming boring at points just because the most of the whole movie is in that one house for, like, the last hour of it. But nothing about this one, like, took me out of it. So definitely worth a watch. All right, getting into the home stretch, we have Good Boy. Now, Maggie, played by Judy Greer, she is this aspiring reporter who gets an emotional support dog to help her cope with her anxiety. Now, it works better than she anticipates. Problem. That said dog, and bear in mind, this is a tiny dog. I think she says in it that the dog weighs like 10 pounds. 
And the way the dog accomplishes this is by mauling anyone to death that causes her adverse stress. It's definitely a good blend of horror and humor, especially because this isn't like, you know, this isn't like a, this isn't a big dog. Like, you know, pit bulls get a bad rap, but they're, I get why people would be intimidated by them. They're kind of menacing looking dogs. Same thing with like Rottweilers. Same thing with like Siberian Huskies. Uh, St. Bernard's even to a point with like Cujo. But this tiny little dog. <laughs> the idea of it like ripping people apart to the point where at one point one of them just assumes that the guy was like run over by a car. Um, there's a couple scenes where it's kind of like hammy acting. But other than that, this is a really, really good one. Next up, we have the current occupant. Probably one of the weirdest ones in terms of like classifying it as horror. Not that it's not, not that it's not good. Not that it's not scary, but this almost feels like more of a, more of a semi sci-fi, like hardcore spy movie. And essentially what happens is that there's this amnesiac who's imprisoned in an unknown, unknown location. And through this experimental treatment, well, Basically what happens is that he spent a long time in surgery and physical therapy after being shot twice. And he's and he lost his memory. And undergoing this experimental treatment to uh, sort of recover his memory, he begins to believe that he's the President of the United States who's been imprisoned and stripped of his power through some bizarre political conspiracy. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's not strictly speaking scary, except on a conceptual level, you know, the idea of like, you know, losing your memory and then coming to realize that you might be a very, very important person actually. But then again, they poke fun at this too, because one of the other guys in the asylum thinks he's like the emperor of space, basically. Uh, yeah, this is, I don't know what to say about this one. Just go watch it. Next up, we have Tentacles, my least favorite. Nothing really happens in this one, but not in like a Hitchcock suspense building way. It honestly kind of just feels like a knockoff of possession to some degree. There are these two young adults who have this sort of like whirlwind romance, and they move in together into a new building after, you know, leaving Los Angeles. The problem is that the baggage they both bring into this relationship psychologically creates, physically creates a monster. Now, it's an interesting concept, but like I said, Possession did it earlier, and even though it was really, really weird, I think it that one did a similar concept a lot better. Um, it's tense, it's got couple dramatic moments, but nothing really of note. <laughs> and finally, we have Blood Moon. Now, single mom Esme moves to a small town under the assumed name of Sarah and brings along her 10-year-old son, Luna. Now, there's a fraught introduction in town. She gradually begins to become the center of attention to some degree and has to face down some nebulous threats related to the full moon. Yeah, take a guess what it is. I mean, I'm going to be honest, it's actually pretty good. Um, aside from the 
aside from the fact the twist is kind of obvious, it's it's got some good drama with this single mom trying to look after her son who is, well, something. <laughs> I think you can guess what it is just from the synopsis. But it's got good drama. It's got some good horror moments near the end. Just don't expecting a full-on creature feature to go in. Like, it's a very slow build-up to the horror aspects of it. All right, and that's it. Um, so that's all 24 movies. Uh, like I said, I would say Current Occupants, Good Boy, Crawlers, Nasty Piece of Work, uh, School Spirit, Culture Shock, All That We Destroy, and I'm Just Fucking With You. Uh, those ones would be the ones I would recommend out of all of them, if I could only pick a few. But aside from, I mean, Tentacles wasn't terrible, but compared to all the others, it was really, really boring. Um, yeah, so give them all a watch, or just give the ones I recommended a watch, either way. Uh, so that's that. I hope you all enjoy. I'm going to be talking about Lucio Fulci tomorrow and then Halloween for the two days after that. So thanks for, thanks for joining me. I'm signing off. Good night. Bye.